those up, Swindon fans. But you're not there yet. Welcome to episode 82 of Together, a Brighton Over Albion podcast. My name is Josh, and we are back, finally, uh, after 105 days. Uh, the Albion and the Premier League are back, uh, making history, in fact, in Project Restart. Uh, the Albion restarted their campaign against Arsenal as the first ever English 3pm game aired on English TV. Uh, so, you know, we came into this, uh, with no wins in what is now technically six months, um, at a now empty annex and the pressure was on, uh, for Graham Potter's blue and white army to hit the ground running. Uh, you know, this is kind of feels a bit like day one again, uh, of the season. And we, we were able to hit the ground running against Watford. Um, and in hindsight, you know, it, it was one of those games where we kind of went out there and did kind of play from scratch. Um, and we were looking at our first ever double over Arsenal, uh, as well as our first ever double over a uh, what was considered an old school top six side in Premier League history for us. Um, you know, the numbers going into the Arsenal game were both good and bad. Um, my voice is an absolute nightmare today because I was so happy at the winning goal that my voice has gone funny. Um, but... The numbers going in uh, were both good and bad, right? So against Arsenal, we were unbeaten in our last four with eight points to show for it. Good stuff. Uh, Arsenal hadn't come to Brighton in the league and beaten us since 1981. Um, And even, you know, most recent cup games, they were lucky to get results. Uh, As well as Potter himself, uh, from a managerial perspective, definitely enjoys his tenure everywhere against Arsenal. Um, with a win away from home for us in his Premier League debut season, um, along with a win for Ostersons uh, in the Europa League, that really was a big one for putting Graham Potter on the map. Uh, Gus Poyet said last week, you know, to him as a manager, uh, to be noticed by bigger clubs, those kind of games were the most important. Um, you know, where we beat Newcastle and Sunderland in the FA Cup. And this one, very similar for Graham Potter, was huge for him. Uh, at Ostersons. You know, when he went out and beat Arsenal, everybody suddenly sat up and took notice at who this little team from Sweden were back in 2018. And it really is one of the big reasons he probably got his move over to the UK. Um, you know, Potter rightly this week, I think, was quoted as saying as we, uh, we haven't had much of an advantage at home lately anyway. Uh, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but some fans were very upset Um, that he didn't see the lack of fans as a huge detriment. And, you know, it's tough to disagree when you look at the numbers. Since our first season in the Premier League, um, you know, we haven't exactly made the Amex a fortress in last year and this year. You know, we've come away with a very average four wins, six draws and four defeats prior to the Arsenal game. Um, So, I mean, I understand his point of view. 
Um, and I probably agree with it because the numbers don't lie. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, there is that feeling that Arsenal are in a position that a rocking Amex stadium could well be enough to cause them to capitulate. Um, and, you know, that lack of fans for the first time ever uh, was going to be one of those what happens next. Uh, on the other hand, we hadn't ever completed a Premier League double against the top seed, top, top six side. And Arsenal were unbeaten in their last 23 three o'clock Saturday kickoffs. Um, I mean, obviously, that goes down to the quality of the opposition they're playing. Arsenal are a team that you would imagine would be on TV a lot. Um, so it probably, you know, it's likely, in fact, that the teams that they are typically playing at three o'clock on a Saturday are not the best teams in the world. Um, but it doesn't take away that 23 unbeaten is not a joke. Um, and you would expect them to surely be on a bit of a revenge, a bit of a revenge tour down south um, after being handed their asses by Man City this week, this Wednesday. I mean, they were hammered comfortably. Um, it was all finally poised, really, for a very fascinating game at the Amex with a lot of history to be made. Um, and we are going to get into the meat of that uh, just a little bit later on. So I wanted to discuss a few things prior to getting into that. Um, just over the recent weeks, uh, a couple of headlines or things that have gone on for either the podcast or, you know, groups of team, uh, groups of people at the club. Um, so the Gus Poyet podcast that aired last week has exploded. Um, I'm sure it's not a surprise to you all. Uh, I, this, this podcast episode has treble the amount of listeners than any other episode ever. Um, and we've had some pretty popular episodes, but this one... Uh, as just absolutely dominated. Um, there's a lot of you that clearly wanted to hear what he had to say. Now, if you wanted to go back and listen to a couple of shows I did in quarantine, uh, we did get a really great conversation with Bruno um, and also a very good conversation with Peter Ward, Albion legend. Um, so if you wanted to take some time to go back and listen to them, if you took a couple of months off due to quarantine, uh, well worth a listen. Um, but, you know... I think that it's been very well received. Um, definitely want to apologize first and foremost for my uh, cringy mess up when talking about Peterborough and Charlton. Uh, for some reason, I always remember it as though I went to Charlton after Peterborough. Um, shocking stuff. But yeah, apologies. Thank you, Gus, for not calling me out on it. Um, and everybody else, thanks for calling me out on it. I deserved it. <laughs> um, I know doing the interview might have burnt some bridges at the club. Um, you know, I hope not. Um, you know, as the response or lack thereof is, is deafening, uh, nobody will touch this story. Uh, the Argus, Andy Naylor at The Athletic, you know, local press, um, even the moderators at North Stand Chat won't get involved. <laughs> um, they, uh, it's, it's just funny that it's still being airbrushed, but, you know, hopefully the club have listened to it um, and can see there wasn't any anti-Brighton perspective in there. Uh, quite the opposite, in fact, and Gus seems to have had very fond memories of his time and you know hopefully this can at least begin a conversation between the two parties who knows probably not but you never know um second piece i want to cover is the black lives matter nhs logos on the shirts love it lovely touch think it's the right call um you know it it's put u.s sporting leagues to shame uh with a willingness to talk about it and commit themselves to a cause uh that you know here in the U.S. especially, uh, as I live here, so I can only really talk about that right now, um, is very much necessary. Um, 
and you know the the sacrifices that the NHS staff are having to go through daily even now we are still in a pandemic um to have some kind of recognition uh every day that Premier League games are going on is is a great touch and I'm glad that they've done it um no more on that though because politics isn't for this podcast uh the club however you know we can't escape conversation about the pandemic um the club have handled itself better than any other Premier League club there is, in my opinion. Um, you know, the Albion has one campaign that they began. Uh, this is a this is a campaign that they, or a charity that the club's players and staff, um, what they've done is they've selected a number of organisations based within Sussex, um, including charities for uh, sick children, uh, hospices, um, domestic abuse victims, um, bereavement care, food banks, you know, uh, health workers, homeless support, uh, all these people that you would imagine are hardest, like hardest hit by this pandemic. Um, and you know, we're all, they're also, I believe they're also putting alongside a, a 20% contribution to Albion in the community. Um, you know, I think that they've just done an incredible job. Uh, the press conferences that other clubs simply haven't done. Uh, Alex Crook, I think at TalkSport has been very vocal, um, about the ability to provide access to journalists that Brighton have done that no other team in the Premier League has. Um, the access that the club has given to me, a, a, a podcaster that has no official affiliation with the club, um, and after the interview last week, probably never will. Um, you know, the access they've given to me, to newsletters, to journalists, you know, it's been phenomenal. Um, they pro- provided me with an opportunity to talk to Bruno, um, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the way this club has handled it. Uh, Tony Bloom, Paul Barber, the playing staff, everybody has done everything right. Um, and I, I've got to say that they are an absolute credit to the entire surrounding area, the club, um, and everyone associated to them. Uh, I think they can be very proud of the way they've handled it. And I think the fans too, um, you know, I think that some sets of fans have handled themselves terribly across social media. Sheffield United, Liverpool, Leeds, to name a few. Um, and I think that Albion have done, again, done incredibly well. Um, they've handled themselves properly. Everybody is there, is handling themselves, you know. They're not being idiots. They're not going out motorbiking or crashing their Jeeps when they should be in quarantine. Or they're not having fans do stupid shit. So I think they've done a really good job. Um, and it's uh, it's a great reflection on what this club tends to stand for pretty much every day. Um, now on to the Arsenal game. So, stats. Let's hit the stats. Uh, Albion, at the beginning of the season, they lived and died by possession. Um, against smaller clubs, they still do. Uh, but they seem to have been more and more satisfied with conceding possession to the so-called better sides, top sides. Um, we finished the day with 41% possession. Uh, and spent most of it in the 30s, actually. Um, you know, it was a game that before they scored, uh, we were most certainly not on the front foot in terms of possession. So to see this willingness uh, to adapt, you know, I think it's incredibly impressive. Um, you know, despite that, we still came away with uh, nine shots, five on target uh, to Arsenal's 13 shots and six on target. I think, you know, it's a testament to Potter's side continuing to evolve um, and get better and using the ball when they have it against the bigger sides, which is a huge deal um, because there was a lot of times, I mean, Man City away, for example, we were fabulous on the ball, simply brilliant, uh, but we didn't do much with it. 
And, you know, while Pep was impressed, I'm sure he would have been more impressed if we could have actually made something of the ball. Um, furthermore, we had a whopping 80% pass accuracy today, uh, while gifting Arsenal 89% uh, pass accuracy. Um, very few have been that high. Uh, the key, here, key numbers, though, here are in the key passes. So despite Arsenal having more of the ball, better pass accuracy and more passes, Brighton had six key passes to their eight. So for all the ball they had, they did very little with it compared. Um, it does at times feels like Graham Potter is fine-tuning um, a combination of the tenacity Chris Hutton inspired in the side over recent games um, with Wolves and Sheffield United and now Arsenal uh, and slowly trying to redevelop that liquid passing that Potter traditionally likes to do. Um, I think it's a very promising sign indeed. Uh you know, a couple of other encouraging numbers as well is the uh, the 74% tackle success rate um, to their 57%. Eight interceptions to their four. Um, and we only gave away the ball five times to their 10. Um, we kept the ball very well indeed today. Um, I thought we really did very well um, in keeping it away. Um, and one final one here is set pieces. Um, the importance of creating something from them. We had 10 corners today. Uh, and 30% of them were considered accurate with a goal coming from one. Um, we must be better than that, in my opinion. Um, only three of our 10 corners were considered good and dangerous um, out of 10. You know, it could be worse, though. Uh, Arsenal had five and none <laughs> went to an Arsenal player. Um, but we're not going to get 10 corners every week. Um, and I think that we probably need to work on that a little bit. Uh, because under... Chris, I feel like we were very dangerous at set pieces and it seems to have been nullified a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if that's because, you know, we've lost Shane Duffy or not so much lost, but not playing him as much anymore. Um, but, you know, I think it's one of those things we definitely you can look at and improve upon um, and walk away at least glad that we got a goal from these 10. Um, next point is flashpoints in the game. Um, so we have kind of four flashpoints in the game. Uh, Mopai and Leno. So... To me, I feel like this was all a, uh, a bit of nothing, to be honest. Um, feels like there was a lot of hype. Uh, it was a bit of, bit of a clumsy push, nudge, um, but nothing we don't see in the Premier League every single week. Um, like, yes, it was an unfortunate landing for Bern Leno, and it sounded awful. Um, like, hearing those screams with no fans, uh, pretty rough. And while I understand Leno's anger and frustration, because he's the one that's just been ruled out for probably at least the rest of the season, if not more, um, you know, it certainly wasn't a red card offence. Uh, but it did live in Arsenal's head rent-free for the remaining 90 minutes. And it's one of those moments that you just have to discuss because it was, it was such a pivotal moment that changed the flow of the game. Um, goal number one. There are times we are caught flat-footed. Um, there are times we are guilty of not putting it challenging quick enough. Um, I think today would be harsh to say it was either of those. Uh, I think Nicolas Pepe just hit a beauty of a shot. Um, and it was a great goal, unfortunately. Um, it did feel like it was coming. Uh, I thought Arsenal were probably the better side at that point and had been to the better side for most of the game. Um, but, you know, it, it came. Ryan couldn't do a great deal about it. Uh, it, it, was the, it was what it was. Um... Thankfully for us, after that first goal, Arsenal seemed to just turn themselves off a little bit. Um, and goal number two felt like it was coming, didn't it? To me, it felt like it was coming. Um, we had been toe-to-toe -to -toe with them all game. 
Uh, although we looked like the lesser side, we certainly didn't like look like Norwich uh, or West Ham, for instance, this weekend. Um, we got another corner and needed to get something out of it. I actually remember sitting there saying out loud, this is our eighth corner of the game. We can't come away with nothing from eight corners against a top six side like this. Um, you know, average corner in fairness, but excellent tenacity from the Albion players to get it bundled over the line. Uh, Donkey doing his best draft me move. Um, he has scored his third goal of the season uh, against the top side now. Manchester United, Liverpool, and now Arsenal all fell victim to Lewis Dunk scoring a goal against them. Uh, just in case we we do go down this season, Dunkey doing his best advert here of uh, signing me up if worst comes to the worst. Um, and again, played brilliantly, I thought. Uh, and then we come on to goal number three. Um, wow. Basuma was dead. Um, I totally understand the Alexis McAllister sub, um, and it was needed. I saw some fans on Twitter completely baffled by the substitution. Uh, they didn't understand why we were doing it. Um, but Bissouma was on the floor. He he could barely walk. He had ran himself to death over 95 minutes, and he was well worthy of a sub. Um, what I didn't expect was for Alexis McAllister, Alexis McAllister to touch the ball. Um, you know, I expected some pretty boring keep ball by Arsenal uh, before a final whistle and a very welcome point indeed. Um, you know, anybody coming away from that game would have took a point at home to Arsenal, no doubt about it, especially in the situation we're in now. Um, what happened, however, was classic Graham Potter magic. Uh, is there time left? Is the game in the balance? Then on we go. Um, you know, Alexis McAllister... Took a brilliant turn from taking the ball. When he got the ball at his feet, brilliant turn. One touch to find a bit of space. Uh, allowed the man to come at him. Excellent pass into Neil Mopai. Um, I thought, oh, not a bad ball. Uh, but Mopai fainted. Um, weren't sure what was going to happen there, but Connolly read it immediately and delivered a delicious flick inside to Neil Mopai. Defenders flat-footed, holding a Mustafi on their ass. Mopai, after 95 minutes of hard work, after three months of nothing, with players gassing, latches onto it and pops it past Martinez without a second thought into the back of the net. Zoom calls go wild. I'm often sprinting around the house. The pug is balking at me. The cats scatter in shock and awe. We win. What a finish. What a game. Did not see that coming at all. And for all the people in the world to keep his calm, Neil Mopai bags and just unbelievable scenes. First win in six months. Outrageous. Three very beautiful points. Thank you very much. Um, just unbelievable. And, you know, I always said, and I've said, football without fans isn't football. Um, and that just got turned on its head today because I went ballistic at that goal. Um, would it have been better with fans? Of course it would. Was it still the best thing to happen in the last three months? Yes, it was. <laughs> um, you know, it was just outstanding. Uh, player stats. So let's get on to the players themselves. So first things first, um, I think we need to recognize someone I haven't heard much about in like, the last day or two of, you know, talking about the players. Matty Ryan. Um, Matty Ryan was outstanding against Arsenal. He made several excellent saves from Aubameyang, from Lacazette. I mean, he kept us in the game at one point uh, pretty comfortably. That that save he made from Lacazette's header uh, early on was excellent. He made a couple of top stops uh, in general. 
Um, I thought he was in splendid form. Um, and honestly, he is just one of those players that I could see as our goalkeeper for many years to come. Um, he couldn't do anything about the goal. Not too worried about that. Um, but some great stuff today. Uh, not so sure on his distribution, mind. Um, hopefully that's just a bit of rust because <laughs> uh, his distribution was not the best in the world. But I think Matty Ryan deserves recognizing. I thought he was absolutely fantastic. Um, and a big reason as to why we walked away with three points. Other than Ryan, uh, you know, I think I think most players did pretty well today. Uh, they were they did what they set out to do. Um, I thought Graham Potter's subs were both right and well timed. Um, you know, Dunk was imperious at the back, led the back line excellently as usual, uh, along with scoring that first goal. Uh, Pascal Gross did well, um, but got little notice. Uh, five tackles he create he made today, second most in the entire team. Um, a key pass. Wasn't afraid of getting in the book, getting the ball in the box with nine crosses, five more than anybody else. Um, he looked gassed and slower than ever, though, to be honest. Um, and the lack of pace for Pascal Gross truly is such a problem at times when the Albion are trying to play on the break. Um, and that was why, you know, Chris Hutton's team with Glenn Murray and Pascal Gross up top was just a walking, talking disaster if you wanted speed um, out of the out of the box. But uh, you know, I thought I thought he did pretty well. Uh, game passed him by a lot at times, but he was still there, and you know the numbers back it up. He was he was an asset to the team. Um, Shalotto worried me at times, as did David Proper uh, in the first fifteen minutes or so, especially. Um, but both really grew into the game, and you know Shalotto surprised me to be the first man on the team sheet as a right back uh, when Lamptey and Montoya are both there. Uh, but fair play to him, he did really well. Um, but let's get to the let's get to the meat of it, right? For me, there are two players that stood out today, um, and I'm sure that they are as obvious to you as they are obvious to me. Um, Neil Mopai ran himself to death today. Uh, I dread to think the amount of cardio he must have been doing in quarantine to be able to keep doing what he was doing today. Uh, four shots, the most. Two on target, the most. A tackle, a clearance, a willingness to go out wide to pick up the ball. Uh, most of all, the ability to stay calm under pressure. You know, Arsenal players baying at him in the 95th minute, just banging a winner like that. Um, I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, much preferring without that weird blonde hair that he's got going on. Uh, clearly, quarantine has been rough on his hair because he's just gone full skinhead number two all over. Um, but I like it. I think, you know, I think that Mopai is... When we lost Anthony Knockout. Uh, we lost a bit of bite and nastiness. And I thought that we were going to get that in Florin Andone. Uh, Florin Andone actually picked up a nasty uh, nasty injury last week. Um, looks like he'll be out for quite some time. So it looks like he will eventually be coming back to the club um, and re recuperate in there. But more than anything, you know, I thought that... I thought it was going to be Andone. He didn't do the business. He was shipped out. Um, and Mopai very quickly you realized he was going to try and take that role. And boy, oh boy, did he reach the peak of that this weekend. Uh, Neil Mopai was just an absolute arsehole, and you loved to see it. Uh, he was excellent. Um, he was everywhere. He was causing pressure. He was hurting people. Um, it wasn't intentional, but it was still effective, you know. they could, It really pissed them all off. Um, and, you know, he did such a good job. Put it this way, he did such a good job of riling up the Arsenal team, that he was able to go at half-time and apologise to them for an accident and still get choked at the end of the game. So fair play to him. Um, man of the match, though, uh, like most of you, 
um, is Bissouma. Uh, what a player he is becoming. Um, you know, he was already showing himself to be a top player that was growing under Potter uh, in recent games prior to the quarantine. Uh, Sheffield United, I thought he was imperious. Wolves, I thought he was excellent. Um, can't remember which one of those two games it was, but I remember that Bissouma was bucked on like six minutes and everybody thought, oh no, here we go. And he went on and committed not a single foul after that um, for 86 minutes and was one of our most defensive quality midfielders there were. Um, you know, Biss started today. I think he absolutely deserved to continue to hold his place even after all this time. Um, and he never stopped until his body literally wouldn't go anymore. And it took 94 minutes for that to happen. Uh, I've watched a lot of Premier League since this restart, and that's better than most. Um, most teams look like they are gassing out at 70 minutes. Not Brighton. They looked incredibly fit today, um, and Bissouma especially. Uh, one shot, one key pass, one successful dribble, um, won a foul in a very decent area, harassed the midfield all day. Gwenduzi particularly obviously didn't have a great time with him. Um, you know, in passes, he was excellent. Uh, 39 passes out of 47 attempt. Uh, I think that was his fourth. I think he was fourth best on the team for that. Uh, he recovered the ball 10 times, 10 ball recoveries. That's top in the entire team. Uh, six out of eight tackles were successful, first in the entire team. Two successful interceptions, first in the, first in the entire team. Uh, he was just phenomenal. He was everywhere. Um, I thought he was just absolutely brilliant. And there's no one else that comes even close, really, other than Mopai at becoming a, a man of the match. And I know, I know it's going to be a tough ask for someone like him, uh, who's just ran himself to death. Uh, to, you know, be back again and do it all again in three or four days. But they are elite athletes at the end of the day, and I hope that they can do that. Uh, so fingers crossed. Um, other than that, you know, results went our way today, uh, big time. I'm, I'm recording this on a Saturday. It'll be out tomorrow. So, you know, you're all listening to it uh, prior to the Aston Villa game, or at least I'm recording this prior to the Aston Villa game against Chelsea. Um, but Watford nabbed a point in the last minute. Uh, but the key result here were the two teams below Watford, um, and they're the ones that you really took notice of, right? West Ham and Bournemouth both have a lot rougher fixtures than Watford anyway, um, and both are playing teams right after we had just beat Arsenal. Both of them got beat 2-0. Wolves and Palace beat West Ham and Bournemouth 2-0, and it leaves us five points clear of the bottom three. Villa have to play tomorrow. If they win that, we're still five points clear of the bottom three because it would then still just be Bournemouth and West Ham on 27 points. Both of those teams have horrible run-ins, people. Horrible. Ours is bad. Theirs is just as bad. Bournemouth have to play Wolves, Newcastle, Manchester United, Tottenham, Leicester, Man City, Southampton, and Everton. Brutal. That is, that is not a nice fixture list. And West Ham are not much better, really. They have a lot of very, very important games against the teams around us. Their fixture list. Tottenham, Chelsea, Newcastle, Burnley, Norwich, Watford, Man United and Villa. So when they're not playing a good team, they're playing teams like Norwich, like Watford, like Aston Villa. Teams around us, which means that even if they were to get results, the teams around us are going to be dropping points to them. Um, they're both in a situation that is very worrisome for them. Um, and, you know, I think that a bottom three consisting of Norwich, Villa, uh, I'm sorry, Norwich, Bournemouth, West Ham or Brighton wouldn't be a shock. 
Um, I think that, you know, I think that Villa's fixtures are not as tough. Um, but it's also, you know, you just never know. Um, everybody's got rough fixture lists. Project Restart is underway. Leicester City next Tuesday. Do not forget. Be there. Uh, six o'clock kickoff. Uh, English time, I believe. Um, which would be 1 p.m. kickoff US time, Eastern. Um, and we go again. Uh, we don't have a terrible time at the King Power usually. We usually do pretty well. Um, so let's see how we get on. Uh, but I will leave you with this thought um, to take you on to Tuesday. Uh, two thoughts, actually. Um, Arsenal are no longer a top six club. There. I'm declaring it. Arsenal are no longer a top six club. Leicester, Wolves, they both deserve to be there a lot more than Arsenal do. They haven't been relevant in a while now. And that's it. And in the words of a real, very, very lovely Frenchman, um, maybe they need to learn some humility. And uh, they got what they deserved on Saturday. Be safe. <laughs>